It's so nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah. How is um? How's SF? It's pretty good. I just moved um like end of September last year, so I'm approaching a year in, and I think I've started really finding like a good creative community here. Which is kind of hard when you move in as a new grad and you work at a tech company. I've never been to SF, but yeah, I've heard I've heard a lot about it. Where did you move from? I just moved from my college town, um, from New Haven. But before that, okay. I was in the Philippines. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I I don't know. I like to say the city. Uh, I felt more engaged with it than my college community as well. So I think it's pretty cool. And there's like a surprising amount of threads um, between New Haven and SF, um, particularly. And like the sound art scene, I guess because they're also kind of like academic cities. I get, and by SF, I mean like the area, I mean like Berkeley ish area or like Oakland. Yeah. Um, so that's been like a consistent thread, like more than me knowing people from Yale who moved to SF. I know more people from the sound community, which is kind of like weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I can understand that pipeline. Um, but recently I've been hearing I don't know why I feel like I know a lot of people who moved from SF to New York recently but you know the word on the street is that SF is over <laughs> it's dead I believe that really? I I mean I guess that's what people tend to say but then mm, I don't know who's saying that though I feel like it's mostly people who are like transient and who just also would have moved to New York just to experience life in Brooklyn for a few years and then just I don't know take in the city um yeah. I feel like a lot of the community I found in SF is definitely people who are natives or have been here for the past few decades and kind of are more generative in terms of like their relationship with culture here um like for example like radio was a good like intro to actually knowing people who are here and investing in community as opposed to just like the type of new grad or like the type of techie who's just here to like eat at expensive restaurants and just take I guess I don't know take from the culture culture instead of contributing to it yeah yeah I mean I think that's the thing about being a creative right that you it's easier for me to be with people and to talk with people who are generators instead of people who are just consuming things Mm -hmm. Um, yeah because the relationship you have with I don't know cultural production matters um in your way of like looking at the world and in your way of like looking at community and your way of being and your way of giving um I agree yeah it's all about your philosophy on contribution and in terms of like uh I mean it becomes very existential like that in in regards to what we're actually here for (laughs) if you think that the purpose of existence is contribution instead of consumption (laughs) I mean it's on like I think that you need to be generative or that you need to like be a producer or something. Mm-hmm. That depends also on your definition of production, right? Like someone sure. who is just like a caretaker, someone who is just like a good roommate or someone who just like makes it easy for people to share in the space that they take up um, is I think already like a act of production is an act of like caretaking and being in community with others. So it's not necessarily that like, I only want to be friends with people who are DJs or artists or have Mm -hmm. some kind of like material like output, but it's more like, I I guess people from those backgrounds tend to be more conscious of how they occupy space and how they share space. I agree. Yeah. Like even 
relationships are, that's a contribution that you're making. Um, okay. I guess I never even introduced you. So welcome back everyone to the Usurpator podcast. I'm here with Chia Amasola. Is that how you pronounce your last name? Amasola. Amasola. Perfect. All right. You are a an internet and ambient designer. Um, I consider you kind of a prolific website artist. Uh, and you're also the founder of Develop. Is that how it's said? I say Develop, yeah. Develop. Okay, but there's an H at the end. There's an H at the end. I always make it hard for people to pronounce the things I make. <laughs> it's good. You have to make them work for it. It's true. It's, you need to add a bit of friction to make things interesting. So when I called you prolific, um, I guess I've been following your work for a little while now, um, but I feel like you're kind of putting stuff out all of the time. From what I can see, most of your practice that I see on the internet is website-based, um, but I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about what you consider your practice to be, like the full breadth of it and what your process is like. Yeah, I'm definitely drawn to the media of websites, so that's a pretty fair and accurate assessment. Um when I think about websites, I think about it as like the construction of environments or worlds even. Um, mm -hmm. I'm interested in just like the spaces where people gather. Um, and obviously, as we are all increasingly online and as I've been thinking about my relationship to like my home community of the Philippines where I'm now like very physically distant, I've been thinking, I guess, a lot more content uh, intentionally about these environments that we are kind of like just forced to inhabit um, for like sites or where we tend to work, where we go to, to like talk with the people we love. Mm -hmm. um, the internet has really enabled these new forms of communication, but then I think our ways of being and the sites that most people frequent are obviously the hostile and haven't adapted to the ways of being that people need. Um, so my interest in making sites and, is framed as this like larger interest in making environments. Um, so I like to label myself as an ambient artist because I'm also interested in environments in the sense that I think about not just like websites and how they are presented to us like visually or how they are in our face, but also kind of the invisible nature of how we are in the web um, and of the places we are kind of forced to dwell with in the internet. Um, for instance, I think a lot about like labor and infrastructure that goes behind like maintaining like the internet and these sites and the servers that they are hosted on and what it means when so much of our behavior is kind of shaped by things that we don't necessarily see or things that are like intentionally obstructed or and obfuscated so that we don't really understand the full environment and the constraints that we're like placed under. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was going to be one of my questions of how you consider the internet ambient or how you make it ambient? Is it already ambient or is this something that you're trying to create? Yeah, I think there's like, if you read ambience as like a question of like the environment, most of the environment that people live with and dwell with online is, we usually think of it as like corporate platforms. You think of like social media sites mm -hmm. um, as where people live. And Kind of the sites I make, which are more like, I guess, like Indian handmade and exist in like the four corners of the internet and realistically are probably only visited by people when they see like a cool link on Reddit or a newsletter or something. They're definitely right. like at the extreme edges of it. Um, but I think about like these tools and smaller sites I make as like kind of exercises and like provocations 
that move and challenge people to like reconsider their relationships on the platforms that we are forced to dwell within. I find that that really resonates with me because it's something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And when I look at your stuff, it pulls me back into this space that Uh, I think a lot of us were living in when we were younger and we were first encountering the internet where it felt very limitless. And it felt like there was all of this stuff that was coming at us from all angles. And it was mostly just a problem of, of accessibility and like discoverability. We were trying to find cool websites. (laughs) And now I feel like just like what you were referencing, we spend all of our time on certain websites. Um, We don't really feel so encouraged to go out and discover. And personally, when I find a website that I think is cool, usually the utility is like quite small. If it has a utility at all, it's more of like an art piece. And I, I, it doesn't fit into my like virtual routine anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I would like to know a little bit about your virtual routine. Cause I was writing about this yesterday, like why I feel so boxed in on the internet. It's like, I go, I open Chrome, I go on like discord, Twitter, Maybe I'll look at like the real, real, and then I'm just stuck within that framework, right? Yeah. I think it's useful to think about the internet um, as essentially just like a series of portals anyway, just a series of sites that bring us to other places. Sometimes I think from like most of the sites that we frequent, like our email or like shopping sites um, Mm -hmm. or what we're on for work. Um. Something I think about is obviously a lot of these are like profit driven and like corporate controlled. Um, so it feels like we have less agency, even though we are kind of like just like doing the same actions on any site. Like even on these handmade sites, I just want to like talk to friends. I wanted to talk to people, but then I don't want to feel boxed in by the constraints that these platforms pose. So I think a lot of this is actually just like a question of like, how do we feel more agency and how do we feel like a better sense of like collective responsibility and power over the platforms we're on. It's not like my routine, I think, is any different from most people's. Like, I don't think that I, as like a maker of fun websites, spend most of my time on fun websites. Like the reality is like, especially like thinking about my friends and family in the Philippines where they are definitely not like looking at cool sites online, but are just like stuck in Facebook because that's where people dwell. It's like, if this is just like a way of like trying to understand how we have agency and how either we can like push on the boundaries and constraints that these platforms have or how can we like change our protocols and norms and standards for communicating and like being on the internet to kind of make these platforms work for us and like subvert them um i don't know it's like I relate to what you said because the early web was so amazing. And I remember when I was definitely gated by access. Like for me, I was like accessing website, accessing websites was like going on the internet with friends. We ha- I had to go to an internet cafe um, mm-hmm. because like the home computer was not accessible. We all just like shared one tiny laptop, like Wi-Fi yeah. was like terrible. Um, so there was kind of like a share, like going on the internet was like gathering. You, there was a physical gathering space that... Um, I had um, when I think about the early web, um, but now that's gone. Even though a lot of like our sites like promise us connection, so I'm just thinking like the web is such an inherently like connective thing. Like every site we are on is shaped by 
Yes, like corporations, but also by the behaviors of people, by the content that people feel moved to consume, by like, by content that is like, I don't know, adherent to some like social etiquette or norm that we feel like we have to adhere to. Um, yeah. How do we recognize these and how do we bend them? Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've, I get the sense that, um, I don't know. We have a big sense of negativity in terms of how these corporations are like owning our user patterns and their um they have so much influence over them. But you're right in what you say that we are essentially influencing them. They are following our data, our user patterns, our user journeys. And I think maybe what the problem might be or part of the problem is that we just don't like what our user patterns are it's like we're seeing our reflection and we're we're regretting it because we are the ones who are engaging on these platforms we're the ones who keep going back over and over again right um and i mean speaking personally i don't like that i don't like that i do that <laughs> um do you find that our the expectation of what we have in terms of a website has shifted because now we expect so much out of it we spend so much of our time on like social media platforms, which always have to be so, I don't want to say generative, but we just, we want to keep coming back and we want to be updated and we want to refresh. Yeah. Right. Like um, a lot of websites that we are on today um, are like attempt to provide every function and try to fulfill every social need that we might have. Um yeah. And that every platform now has like transient stories. Every platform now has like live audio or something. They're trying to fulfill kind of like every need for intimacy and connection that humans might have so that we can stay stuck in these platforms. And what ends up happening is that human behavior or like human activity on the internet is ends up centralized on a small set of platforms. Um, and um, obviously the people that control these don't often come from a well-intentioned place like the interest in connecting people is only as far as to like monetize this connection is to like read the data that goes behind your behaviors to then get us more kind of obsessed rather than these platforms actually working in the interest of like how people self-organize um and reimagine how to be on these platforms and break down their interests because ultimately while they're studying our behaviors and perhaps adapting their apps to us they're profit-driven goals still kind of like work against our interests that are more for, I don't know, actual human connection, actual longing. Um, yeah, you're right. It can only go so far, right? Yeah, yeah. And another thing is like a lot of these platforms I feel are interested in scaling up as much in like making you reach every social circle. Um, or they're also interested in being performant in optimizing all of your actions. And when I just think of me and my human behavior, I don't care about <laughs> being optimal or efficient or performant. I just want to be, I just want to be like annoying and reflective and well on my interiority um, and do all these things that are kind of like immeasurable and work definitely against like corporate interests. Oh. Right. You don't want the internet to be more efficient for you, for your productivity. Like, of course, I would like for technology to, like, help me and to augment, like, some parts of my behavior. But then when I think about, like, a lot of platforms that, like, 
promise connection and intimacy and like growth um i don't think that there's like a utility that can solve for those things like sure i want like writing apps i sure i want like things that can sure i want to like have better like ebook readers but then i think connection is more immeasurable and is unfortunately like the core of what a lot of sites seek to solve and that's not just something that you can optimize yeah i i i feel like i i know that creativity is still obviously out there on the internet like i was saying earlier it's mostly just a problem of accessibility but do you feel like the art of the website has been kind of obfuscated in our current climate yeah i feel like i think the underlying issue is that a lot of people feel stuck um, with the current options that are presented today. And sure, we can like make new standards and make like finstas and like secret accounts and tweet into our inner circles. But then ultimately, I think what people really need is the ability to make their own environments and make their own spaces where they can kind of dictate the structure, the physics, the logic um, of the platforms that they and their friends can then inhabit. And if you look at it a lot of like what the notion of a website is, it seems like the scary thing. Um, even like technically, people feel like you need like a bunch of new technologies and frameworks and libraries to like construct a website. And the art of just like, I don't know, writing pure HTML and CSS, like the the bulk, like the bare minimum needed to make a website is a lot more intimidating. Um, you can't even go on a website most days and right-click it to read the code. Um, mm. and that's by design, like that friction is like made so that people are not able to create their own space and are forced to rely on spaces that other people have made for them that don't necessarily like reflect their interests. So I think we need, there's that joke, right? Like, um, but how does it go? Uh, people who say they want shorter games with worse graphics made by people who are paid more um, and work less. Um, that applies to film, that applies to any media, right? And I just want more sites like that as well. Like, I want a lot more shitty websites that are just made for one purpose, that are just made for smaller communities, that are not made to scale, that are made to not even have purpose. Because why does a website need purpose or utility, really? Why can't a website just exist? Um, and these all just, like, reflect ways of being that we want on the internet um everyone just wants to everyone is on the internet because they want to occupy space because they want to understand the space where others are on and i think that just the solution is to have people make more websites yeah true and that would be more original i think it would allow people to feel like the space that they are occupying on the internet is more reflective of them right you don't have to feed it through this <laughs> like algorithm or the structure that someone else has invented, right? Um, in terms of the utility of a website, I was touching on this a little bit earlier. Right now we have the expectation that they have to do so much. And when I see these brilliant websites or like just any kind of internet art that someone is making, I don't know why I'm struck with this anxiety that like I I'm going to forget it or it doesn't have a place in like my web browser. Because I want to hang on to it, but I don't really know how to catalog it or archive it. And I don't know how to like keep it around because it is on it. it is virtual. It isn't this physical mm -hmm. thing that I can like have some kind of memento of. Mm -hmm. um, I guess these are kind of two different questions that I'm asking you. But first, I'll ask you in terms of the utility of a website. 
Um, do you feel like it needs to do anything or when you have an idea to make something, do you think that it needs to be generative in some way, or it has to have some kind of user journey or can it just be like a thing or an object or an idea? I think, um, cause I can think of websites as objects. Maybe they're not as obviously material or tangible as other things, but then, I mean, if you break it down, it is consists of a bunch of files that is hosted in some server. And there is like human labor that even I am not involved in at all that goes towards like maintaining and serving these websites. So I think it's useful to think of them as like material things. And you're right that we don't really have the right tools to like treat websites like trinkets, um, which is why a lot of websites that you see are like constantly competing for attention and are just like fighting for us to keep going back to them um, because there's no clean place. Like we're still just like, ultimately saving bunches of links somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't know, my a lot of my interest in websites has become kind of like an interest in the form of a site itself um, in like full recognition of how I know websites as a medium may not last forever. Um, we already see how websites easily break and how, um, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't know if browsers and like our machines will read sites as we do today. So I think definitely more of them as the experiences that they invoke in someone and websites can be experienced in like a multitude of ways, like inherently by how they're like programmatically made. Um, but also because you have no idea what is like the physical context in which someone like observes your site on what machine they're going to like see it on um, in what context with who. So there's just like that sense of mystery, I think, when you like deliver a site. Um, I don't think they inherently have to have any sort of utility or purpose, even though when most people think of a site, there's that thought that it needs to express something. It needs to be a presentation of something. It needs to like be a mode of communication. I think a website can just like be. And when I think about my relationship with objects, um, like physical or virtual, I think the most interesting objects to me are just like plain ones that don't necessarily have like a prescriptive function because it's in that that your imagination is most activated. Um, That's where websites, I think, really become environments and containers when they do not dictate protocols or rules, but instead invite you to ascribe meaning to them and to ascribe like what can be done with them and what they can be and what they can be read as, how they can be performed and consumed. Um, and I think websites that are the most imaginative and generative creatively in that sense are ones that are perhaps the most ambiguous or loosely defined. Um, maybe that's why like, like very simple objects and rocks and clouds and abstract annoying films that aren't in your face. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I like websites that function like that as well. <laughs> yeah. It, to me, it reminds me of, um, especially when you talk about like weird abstract films where you just let yourself let go of like these concepts or constructs that you have of plot of like trying to understand what is going on and it you just let it wash over you. Um, I used to study phenomenology when I was doing my master's degree and that's mostly what it was all about. It was like forgetting these categories and these constructs that we're constantly carrying around where we identify something and put it in a category or we um, 
relate it to something that we already know. And instead just kind of seeing something for exactly what it is and observing the beauty in that, right? And when you talk about simple objects, I always think about Duchamp's ready-mades, right? Like he, he put <laughs> yeah. the the urinal in in a in a museum or a gallery. <clears throat> and as soon as you do that, it becomes an art piece and people are looking at it a little bit more closely and a little bit like with more intention. Um, so in terms of the form of a website, I'm glad that you brought that up because I mean, it links back to what you were saying earlier about how the website is just an environment. And it does feel like we have started to operate within boxes that are in websites. Like it's supposed to have a certain structure. It's supposed to have a certain user experience. It's supposed to follow some kind of journey or pathway that makes sense to us. Do you find that you operate within certain forms that are consistent throughout your work or do you actively try to forget them? Yeah, I think con- like conceptually when I make sites, they're often just like invitations for people to like first like forget the common notion of like a prescriptive like corporate made website so it stems from there when I think when I like make my sites I don't know like a lot of the times I think about like archaic technologies and like kind of like obsolete I guess like functions and like programming techniques I guess that you wouldn't normally see um just like going against convention and being inherently like I don't know, subversive and like transgressive to like what is like to how websites are supposed to be built or how they're supposed to operate. So I think like a lot of the times when I'm constructing a site, I first and foremost, I'm just like in love with the medium and the browser and how we have read things or and how we like made languages and ways to interpret them and compile them and present them in other ways. So whenever I make something, I'm like operating in my code editor and I do all the writing and designing there. And I kind of just like let the form of a site or rather like how I want to break the form of a site, like inform a lot of the work I do. Right. That's interesting. I, I can definitely see that in a lot of your work. Nothing really feels like the same structure. It feels like its own organic, uh, kind of breathing organism um, that fits whatever it is that you're trying to represent. Yeah, exactly. I think like um, something I've been pretty obsessed with and is a recurring theme in a lot of my pieces lately is just like the use of multiple browser windows. Okay. Um, So like, I don't like that the experience of a website just stays on the site like obviously that's not it like the interesting thing about like tiktok and twitter is not just that it lives on the platform it's because like we go out to lunch and then we talk about what we've seen there like the way it has influencer behavior like extends beyond that tab Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of my sites i don't want them to just be like cool site use on reddit and you link to your friend once and that's how it lives but is rather maybe something that intrudes on person's browsing experience and like on their machine themselves and in the context in which they're like looking at a site um so I've been making like what I call like I don't know like concrete browser poems where I use like window open which is like javascript function not recommended for use um and (laughs) it will like block you from actually like launching more than one pop-up um so I have to so I have to like say at the start of every piece like please like let your browser 
not think this site is a virus or something like that um when I make my pieces like exist on like very simply on multiple tabs and multiple browser windows that are like moving all over your screen it kind of like interrogates like I don't know like how are you browsing right now and in what context are you situating yourself in to like experience this site I think a lot of like the sites and environments that people construct try to be seamless and invisible such that they can have as much as much power and influence over people's like daily routines and behaviors but I want to make things that are in your face and that obstruct those routines and don't like I don't know like cleanly fit in into browsing conventions and thus like demand more attention without being kind of like sly and exploitative about it yeah that's like an example of one technology that I've tried to like appropriate but also there's like a lot of this interest in like revealing also like ambient qualities I guess like window open is like less ambient because it's just like more like in your face but like Mm -hmm. say all the data that is being exchanged um, between you and any site you visit for example like your IP address, um, the size of your screen, like what your operating system is. Um, I try to make experiences also that kind of like reveal these exchanges, um, this relationship of downloading and uploading that you're constantly engaged in that might not necessarily be explicit. Also to make people aware of the environment um, that they are in. Yeah. Do you find that in order to create this awareness, um, it's imperative to create some kind of interactivity. I mean, I know that a website is inherently interactive, but some of your work um, is more to look at and some of it is like, it functions as a game or something like that. So what are you trying to create when you are doing something that's a little bit more interactive versus something that just just kind of functions as an idea or something to look at? Yeah, I think... When I explain that my websites are worlds, environments, um, that obviously means that they're most interesting to me when they're like alive and lived in. So I try to make a lot of experiences that are like communally shaped and participatory and are interactive in some way. Um, I like it when you can feel kind of traces of everyone who has been on the site before you, um, whether that's in the data that is lived there or in like actually seeing other people's like movement. Or engagement the guest with it. book. Do you remember those from back in the day on like Pixel websites? You'd sign everyone's guest book. <laughs> I love that. I I like knowing where people have been before me. Yeah. Um, I like when when things are lived in, right? Um, and I want to make websites because I want people to live in it and gather there, and it's easier to do that if you feel like something has been, or if you feel like people have been there before you, and our, people will be there after you. And I think a lot of the sites I make. Um, when we read them as worlds, we also, of course, like read them as environments that where the most important thing is not just like, I don't know, the foundations or the constructions or the structure that has been predetermined, but rather like the emergent activity that happens afterwards. So how do people's exchanges and behaviors actually change and influence this environment? And how do I, I like maybe kind of revisit and reconstruct the projects I make so that they are better are better receptive to or maybe even more hostile to like certain behaviors that I see. Um, I think that's an important role to take um, as someone who constructs the environment. I don't know, because like any technology, like websites reflect the will of people, um, the will mm-hmm. of me as the creator and the will of people who visit on them. And 
exchange something on them. Do you find that that makes them inherently community driven? Like you need engagement or you need people to be visiting the website in order for it to be effective or um, be representative of what you were trying to create? I think, I think so. But I think like a site doesn't have to be like visited all the time or like frequented. Like that's what a lot of sites um, or corporate owned sites when people think of the internet are right, that they are competing for attention that they must be like recurringly visited to like feel alive. But then many things I love um, are things that I don't necessarily like engage with like 24 seven, but they are things that feel more precious to me. Um, they are things that maybe I will only return to every few months or every few years. Like, I don't think they need to be like, like, I don't think that they need to be active or cleaned up all the time. And that's one of the, like, the amazing things about digital space, right? That they, that's like the mode of maintenance and the mode of caretaking um, kind of like transcends our traditional notions of like time and space. Um, that they can always be like, for instance, like republished and accessed in many ways or like gated um, in ways that traditional media and books cannot be like a website can be alive even if it's only visited every few years even if it only serves as a time capsule and i think one of the most important things about like making work in in digital space is realizing that it is like useless to kind of like be stuck to comparisons of like real objects or real spaces and making them like it's easy for me for example to use like metaphors like i want to make like you know like parks on the internet or digital parks but then also we are working with like new affordances and materials that don't necessarily need to like replicate the limitations of physical structures. Um, right. I mean, yeah, they will be inherently extremely different in essence, even if the inspiration is something that's based in the, in the physical world. And I mean, we see this all the time in terms of how we navigate things, what is intuitive to us, it's all a recreation of what we find intuitive in our physical day-to-day life that is kind of transposed onto the internet, but you're right. There are new affordances and they become second nature to us uh, without us even realizing that we're, that the virtual space is so different than our physical lives and what is intuitive on both of those, in both of those different worlds. I would also love to know a little bit more about develop I wanted to know a little bit more about how it started, um, where you want it to go, and also how you stay connected to your home country when you are living elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so develop is this, I guess, it started out as this school club I founded when I was in like my junior year of high school. So I was like 16. And I didn't have a very good education in my random Filipino Catholic school. <laughs> so <laughs> but just like me and my friends, like teaching each other how to code design, um, showing each other, I don't know, like cool sites we saw or and wanting to make games, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just like host workshops for each other in each other's like basements or after school and like the computer lab. Um, and since then, it's like evolved with me for sure in thinking about the role of a technologist or what a technologist looks like in the context of Philippine space, like um, from the kind of like naive thing of like, oh, we all just wanted to like study computer science and we wanted to like make video games. Um, Develop has kind of like moved 
to working on a lot of like campaigns and activations and workshops um, across like making archives um, for, I guess, like smaller communities in the Philippines to like working on like um, entire like political activations and campaigns throughout the elections over the past years to also just like making art and introducing creative code back in the country. Um, a lot of it has really been a reflection and mirror of my, I guess, like technological imagination in a way. And I think that's what is most interesting about its impact. Um, like we've never been well-resourced. We've never had like a lot of institutional support um, and it's been very scrappy. And I think more than like connections or resources, what we have been really adept at is like working with like thousands of students and like early career technologists back before they defined themselves as technologists and like reconsidering what technology could be and then what their and what their engagement with technology could look like and what is possible with technology. So in a country where there was like a very kind of like myopic idea of like a technologist is like a cool startup founder or um, your force or like if you study CS, the success the definition of success is like work in like one of like five companies um, or whatever, which is also like mirrored here in the US. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, it's like, how do we counter we, these ideas? Because technology is like this crazy magical thing that can augment our agency. And, and like, it, it was what enabled me to like, like move here and to see and to make space for myself and to make space for others continuously. Um, so a lot of develop, I think, has just been this like, in a way, this like collective exercise in using technology to reclaim space for ourselves, um, to think about technology as a liberatory thing, especially in a nation that is like pretty repressive, um, in a state that is surveilling on its people, um, in just like a dangerous like technological like sphere or like, or and a capital driven one. Like, how do we? subvert that and recognize technology as a human activity and a human process yeah are you is it more intended to like educate and inspire or are you also trying to uplift projects that people are already doing or building there we've done a mix of um both over the past few years we've definitely like had that big era of where like of saying like our goal is to educate and inspire and activate people um I guess uh, we work across all kind of like, um, I guess all sides of that like technology pipeline, right? From like one like showing people what how to make a website who have never like thought that this was a thing that they could do, which already is like a pretty radical act, even to many technologists um, who are mostly like just like coding what others making things that others tell them to do. Um, but we are also like working with a lot of. Um, Lately, we've been working with a lot of like cultural institutions and labor movements in the Philippines and have been like co-creating like archives and tools and like platforms um, to kind of like activate um, what they've been doing. So something that we've also been consciously doing is like, how do we move away from the idea of like techno-solutionism or also that technology is this like thing that you can wield and use to save the country, but instead how can technology be used to like augment like, I know, existing solutions and ways of being um that people have long been engaged with um for longer than i have lived um and support those movements um 
which involves like thinking about a lot about like the labor and infrastructure and the invisibles and technology um, and to see like how we are engaged with it. Um, like for instance, a lot of what I've been cognizant of is, um, I mean, with like generative art and AI and whatnot, we know a lot of this is like powered by exploited and underpaid labor in the global South. Um, mm -hmm. The Philippines like largest industries like business process outsourcing. Um, so like call centers, like underpaid, like Fiverr-esque like work where people are just like doing manual labor. And then these are later like masqueraded as like cool artificial intelligence, but actually just like a, a person in an office just like manually tagging these things right, or yeah. manually screening responses like it's also like considering a lot of like honestly like the questions of labor um that underlie technology um yeah yeah it's interesting that you say that especially the the part about how we're bringing technology to kind of mm, not like expedite but complement and um facilitate the things that we're doing in real life or the structures that we're trying to, to fix or, or create. That's what technology was invented for, right? Even just social media is trying to close this gap of how we connect with people. It's something that we want to bring about. It's something that we struggle with in our physical day-to-day -day lives. And that's ultimately how it's going to be successful and fit into our lives more, um, effectively i'll say i was also looking at your project uh the sound of love and i liked it so much because i also love reading youtube comments of <laughs> like i i always look at um like disco songs like old disco yeah. songs have great comments especially when it's like an old person telling stories about their youth and how like that that certain song or album was the soundtrack to it and it, it was making me think about how we feel the need to archive these stories. It's like when you find when you find something or read something so beautiful, it feels like a diamond that you found in this like coal mine that is the YouTube comment section. <laughs> um, and I was wondering why you felt the need to archive these. Also, a note that um, ties into that is I was looking at your is it called Ambient Institute? Is that where you archive all of your work? Yeah. <laughs> You're like a prolific archiver. I was wondering your philosophy around that. Yeah, it's such a human thing, right? To see something beautiful and moving and to want to save it. Exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes you might do all this saving and really like no one you're going to revisit it. Yeah, I think a lot of this practice around archival and I'm like coming at this with a very like broad definition of archival um and saving um it's just like thinking about how this act of self-preservation could become an act of communal preservation. Um, that's the interest in technology in general also, right? That my goal is to nurture the sense of digital stewardship, which involves knowing our environments, feeling agency, knowing that our ways of being um, online or offline are all kind of like driven by this collective mutual responsibility, um, the sense of inter interdependence we have that with each other. So a lot of my archiving practice comes from, I guess, like inspiration from like folk archives where I think about my upbringing in the Philippines and how we literally don't have like libraries or like a lot of formal institutions that um, like safeguard um, national like knowledge and community knowledge. Um, 
but the web and the internet has kind of like enabled or give provided us tools to kind of like challenge that and to become better stewards of ourselves. Um, a lot of this is also kind of just like rooted in this selfish desire where I was like a kid and online and I thought I just wanted to make myself important. So I wanted to deem myself as <laughs> worthy of saving and worthy of being someone to be witnessed and presented either now or later on. Um, and I didn't want to rely on other bodies or platforms to deem myself as worthy of preservation. So I would just do the work myself. And there are so many people and communities that do not have like the resources to like do this work. Um, and we can't just rely on people with power to deem um, who or what is worthy of saving. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of this, I think, like online practice is also kind of like indirect retaliation, right? Against that nature of, in the inherent nature of the online to decay. Um, we think, or I don't know how common this viewpoint is anymore, but then people think that what is on the internet in this forever um, is I think forever. it's still pretty common, yeah. Yeah. They love to tell kids that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And like, it's good to be cautious of that. But then when people think like, oh, the photos and memories I have of myself are like, it's fine to just keep them on Facebook albums and to not have backups. That's like pretty dangerous. Um, like, just like look at the problem, like LinkRot and how a lot of the data that we store and have of ourselves is like stored in someone else's servers is on a, these large platforms. Like, we're moving into this world where a lot of our brain and a lot of our, our knowledge and like memory, we just like offload into the yeah, internet. Yeah, it's an extension of ourselves, the computer. So it frees up space in our own brain. It frees up space, but then we don't have control anymore about where we are saved or for how long it will be. Um, like when we call like digital storage, the cloud, we think that it is this like forever knowledge that is like floating somewhere else, um, yeah. obscuring like the vast amounts of like physical infrastructure needed to actually store um, ourselves. And we feel like we are in control when we are not. So that's like, I don't know, a big concern of, a big concern of mine. Um, I think a lot of also this interest in saving the online beyond like the direct gathering of like artifacts or records. Um, it's also just like an interest in like catalyzing community, um, thinking about the process of memory and how memory has obviously like shape shifted and become more fragile as we've offloaded it through the computer. Um, I'm thinking about regathering as a process, um, like thinking about what must be saved in order enable people after me to continue this work of saving like this is linked to the interesting tools i mentioned earlier um if we know that objects and structures kind of shape human behavior my i guess my profound interest is just in that act of transformation and how we use records and archives to activate people again um in how they might be recontextualized later on in how they will be lived through in like the way we look at history to think about how we live or to like know that we are I don't know connected to a larger thing or to know that um in a way nothing we are living is new and maybe that's kind of like beautiful and <laughs> I, I I find like myself very comforted by that act I think um I don't know that act of like saving things so that 
the way we have lived may later be reactivated and transformed and live again is a pretty radical and important act that more people should engage with. Do you think that people, okay, the, the, the point that I'm coming from is that, and I'm not sure if it's totally correct, but it feels like from being online and having access to these resources, we feel compelled to archive everything and save everything. Um, and we feel less inclined to let things go or let things die. But do you feel like this new ability that we have or this new access that we have to archiving um, makes us more kind of obsessed with how we represent ourselves, you know, like how our our gravestone, our virtual gravestone is going to look after we're gone? Yeah, I feel right that there's definitely this kind of performativity that everyone is just kind of like engaged with now. Um, we were like checking how others might perceive us online. Um, we are conscious of like how we are read and presented and in ways we want to save everything. Um, but then we are already kind of like selective about how we perform um, and present ourselves. And there's also the question like if everything is important, what actually is like mm -hmm. I think the challenge there is it's I think everything online is inherently a performance, but then what in real life is not also. Yeah. Um I think what I'm interested in and how I've been like kind of like letting myself be a bit looser about this like rigorous act of archival, not that I'm like exempt also from that process of like also being very careful about how I'm perceived is just like entrusting myself to that act of activation or that act of like I don't know. I, I will trust in people to like fully read me and have a million interpretations of myself. And I think that's the interesting part anyway. Um, that's the interesting part of how like records are activated and lived and challenged. Say, I like having the agency to dictate how I am and how I'm performed and how I'm read. But obviously like the emergent behavior that comes from how other people um, take me and consume me um, is what will live on how I'm interpreted um, from the artifacts that I have selected is something I cannot gauge at all. And maybe that ambiguity and that trust in others is the interesting part of, I don't know, transforming each other. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I think that's a very good faith approach because often what we're trying to do is control the narrative and we comfort ourselves by thinking that we have done it but that that's never possible you uh, we as beings are inherently open to interpretation <laughs> and you will never know you'll never be able to objectify yourself um in the way that other people do right even online yeah exactly like the core of archives anyway is not like that these materials are direct records of us. Um, they're always just reinterpretations. And I think if we want to be read and if we want to be witnessed, we have to be open to that like reinterpretation. Um, yeah, in a way also I feel like the standards and norms for how we all read each other. Um, the standards and norms for how we read each other are ever-evolving and mm -hmm. will redesign how we 
present ourselves afterwards like in a way the way we collect archives ourselves the way we choose how to present ourselves will later like influence the tools and environments that we then like that are then like made thereafter um it's all just like a collective exercise like the interesting thing about narrative is that it's a shared thing there's no one objective narrative it's all a participatory and communal exercise anyway yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and even just i mean you were talking about this earlier but the sheer fact the facticity of the platforms that we're putting this on um those are transient we don't have any control over those the form of them may change over time and the intention that we've been pouring into it will inevitably change do you feel like the way that you own your archive or the way that you own its presentation you feel more uh at ease with that or like you have more control over how it will change in the future Hmm. honestly I'm not sure I think like the inherent nature of the archive is that when you gather artifacts or like records of yourself um it can't just be collections and in themselves you also need to dictate like protocols for how they will be read like standards and norms for how they will be cataloged and understood in the far future. So longevity is like a central concern. Mm -hmm. And I definitely feel agency when I make um, archives of myself because like I make physical backups. I I do this um, mainly to just like outlast a lot of other things on the web that are inherently like transient and like will probably just be deleted without warning. Um, that's the largest sense of agency, I feel. Um, and I think that's one of the main challenges of digital preservation anyway. Like, we know with physical archives, um, they will obviously, the way that they will be read and be reinterpreted and reorganized and recatalogued and refiltered will forever change. So I don't think that's like an issue, but then with digital archives and digital materials, um, I think the practices of that act of preservation themselves um, and just like how we were collecting these materials and where they will live and what servers they are stored on and where the backups are, um, we're really behind in that. And also like the question of how to archive like ever-changing interactive spaces that can be read and performed in a million ways is another challenge like what will we do when the way a browser like interprets a site or when the languages that we have or the change like representation of these or what is the closest record we will have um i don't know if we have a good answer to storing digital materials that are as fluid as sites yeah do you know ruby being online um, oh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. Know him. <laughs> He's my partner. Um, but his work focuses a lot on digital memory and like communal spaces that have um suffered a loss of an archive or like a a a, a group or communal spaces that have been lost on the internet. Yeah. And I always love to ask people, I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but if there's something that you loved on the internet that you would always go back to that has since gone that you think about oh my god my answer is probably also just like a lot of early internet like fan communities that I was in they honestly like 
shaped who I am as a creative. Yeah. Um, like when I was on Tumblr and I was just like learning about graphic design or whatever, like those weird anime roleplay communities um, are honestly so central to my development. But then inherently like fandom or anything that is based on derivative work is like, I don't know, not seen as like, for example, as important or as artistic as like original work for one. Um, These fandoms are also like often like, I don't know supported by mass waves of like teenage girls so yeah. they, their work and their labor is often also like displaced and undervalued um yeah. even though they have i'm sure like definitely like motivated this generation of like designers and artists and whatnot um and the sites that i used to dwell on like all tumblr blogs they're now like deactivated or like purged or like weird um I don't know, like mafia role-playing sites where we would change the, the rules of the game to match like the characters and whatever we were consuming or whatever, stuff like that. Um, they're gone, which is such a shame because if you also like look at fandom and fandom communities, they honestly have some of the best like understanding of how to like preserve things online or how to filter things online, like archive of our own, like the fan fiction site has one of the most like robust like tagging and filtering systems and has some of the longest works of like English literature in the whole world but then it is not taken as seriously as like other forms of art that are like right. read as higher or fine even though I don't know it's just as powerful and they have like they probably have a better understanding of how to archive and save like fan works um or like digital work in general more than yeah. like other communities. Whenever I go to someone's like a fan wiki, I'm blown away. At, like I, I was on the Lana Del Rey one recently and they have cataloged every single day of the past like 13, 14 years, oh every God. photo that's been taken of her every single day. It's insane. And yeah, just the 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 structures that, that they have in place. I don't even know how many people are contributing to these, but they're completely out of this world. Um, yeah. Also, my my things that I that I think about all the time from the internet that are gone are usually also Tumblr sites that have been wiped out or deactivated, and it's so sad to me. I always think about like. Uh, I I just want to revisit them, and there's so many like memories and posts that I have have stored in my head, um, and I wish that I could just go back and revisit them. It's so sad. It's really these like small, hyperfixated yes. like kids making content online that have like moved us most. I feel yeah, um, so true. <laughs> there's such huge labors of love. It's like you don't really get clout for being a fan it's just like purely driven out of obsessive desire um wikis are hugely versatile i had this like weird phase um during the pandemic where i made this kind of like lore archival like project over this video game genshin impact and then it was like a surprising amount of like library science um graduate (laughs) students just like doing that labor for free right it's intense yeah I also wanted to ask you 
about the concept of love within your work. Um, I was seeing lots of examples of this. I was recently writing a piece about longing online and like um, the concept of telepresence where we have this constant need of the other and we recreate the other online and their presence is always available to us. So I, I find the more that we love online, the more we long online, the more we long for the other. I was wondering what virtual love means to you and how it um, comes up within your work. That's a really interesting framing, right? Like a lot, I think, of the tactics of um, sites today is to kind of, in a way, manufacture scarcity and make us feel like we don't have enough attention to devote to everything. So maybe my subversive tape is that we do have enough like attention to give to everything that deserves it. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of the desire to have more agency in our ways of being and to understand environments is to just like know how to like filter um, against like the noise. And I think it's definitely like possible to be intimate online without like physical proximity, but it is also simultaneously like a huge challenge that a lot of our platforms don't, aren't really built for. Um, So I think a lot of like virtual love is honestly about clarity, right? Like, like thinking about my relationship to love offline, like I grew up like queer in a very repressive Catholic <laughs> environment. And it feels like so much of my early life was this obsession over like subversion because it was like I needed to do this in order to live, in order to express who I was. Um, so love was like figuring out like the name or defining what I was doing, figuring out a secret language to speak then, a way to convey that truth um, and my intent when the usual norms had to be bent, but like navigating it in a world where I had to be secret or like silenced in a way. Um, And I think much of love inherently like feels like speaking a secret language and converting this like world between you and another um, where you have your own norms and histories and languages in a way Um, that kind of like love that is in devotion and construction. Um, So I don't know, I think the way I think about love online feels similar. Um, The people I love are often afraid of, I don't know, of small things like triple texting or posting too often. And I watch how my mother like posts like over 40 stories on Facebook a day. Fervently, yeah. like all like, she she posts as like an addendum to prayer just like all these like weird religious posts but then i don't know that's what she's used to um mm-hmm. and on being online like any technology um i just wanted people to realize that a lot of these norms and a lot of these protocols are constructed they are made by another human for other humans to follow and oftentimes we know that we must constantly like reimagine these norms and uh, a lot of love is also I just inherently an act of boundary breaking, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the seeking of clarity and a lot of this and work around wanting to construct environments is just trying to find ways for us to better communicate our love for each other, to make intent clear, 
um, to be, and that like a prerequisite to that is obviously being cognizant of the platform constraints that we're kind of like bound to. So how do we want to give and receive on, love online? How might we all attend to each other better? Those are contextual questions that I think everyone should be more empowered to answer. Um, so I don't know, the virtual office is just all about clarifying who we are on the internet, where we are, knowing what the world on the internet is so that we may better love within these boundaries. Um, I like that because it does inherently change. I mean, it changes the capacity through which we love. Um, it changes the the form of it and the norms, like you said. Um, but that doesn't necessarily make it lesser than um, or less powerful, just the context and the presentation is changing. Um, just like our self-concept and our concept of others is also changing once it's presented to us virtually. Mm-hmm. Do you find that love is a common theme throughout your work or your websites? It for sure is. Um, <laughs> yeah, I describe one of my goals as just like gather all the people I love in one place. And I think the internet could be that place, which may be a bold claim, but I don't know. It's in technology and the internet that I feel the most agency I have for my environment more than the real world in many aspects. And why is that? I think it's just that I do feel empowered. I feel liberated. I feel like I have had agency. It's in my kind of extremely online upbringing that I was able to realize like alternate ways of living and get myself out of the situation I had in like my kind of like oppressive environment and home. And is it's through technology and finding community and then making space for myself and in sharing in that space with others that I think is like why I'm here. Um, it's all bound to that interest in tooling and placemaking in sites as in websites as actual sites, right? If if I read if my reading of love is all about kind of like creating a shared world between people, um, it follows that my interest in sites and my interest in the constructing of environments, in thinking about ambience and the unseen, and in all, I don't know, these standards and structures that influence our behavior and our ways of being and longing that I think um, we can have better control over how we express longing or how we attend to longing over how we attend to each other. Do you think that longing is exacerbated online since the other is more available to us or we have kind of unlimited access to their likeness? For sure. And there's this huge pressure, right, to um, like open someone's message and instantly respond to it. And we feel like any distance is immediately like a rejection or something, which is absolutely like insane and should not be the norm. And it's like when constant, um, when the expectation of reciprocity is like stuck to these platform constraints where we must always signal that we are available, that we must always signal that we are here to like attend to someone and we can only attend or signal care in like X amount of ways that I think these platforms that promise us connection end up just exacerbating that 
loneliness. But then, I don't know, if we just like have more awareness of each other's intent and each other's like, I don't know, love languages, simply put, um, we can make environments and be a part of shaping environments. Um, and I think that is like the greatest or a more powerful way of loving, right? To dictate the conditions in which we want to give and receive and the conditions in what we attend to each other and how we signal need and how we attend to need. Um, and love is all about like making a world between people that best attends to that and a world that enables them to continue building upon it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. If you think that, you know, when you were talking about creating a communal space for the people that you love virtually, do you find that that allows you to love easier or more, or it changes the form of it in a way that makes it better? I don't know about loving easier, (laughs) but certainly there's more into it I think um yeah I as I guess someone who is a technologist and works in the industry and has I guess a bit more understanding about um the spaces that a lot of people I love are on I take it as like a role for me to understand how to not only just like make an environment and demand that people are in there but also to be conscious about how Um, the people I love are currently inhabiting other worlds. How are they dwelling in the platforms that they are forced to use? Um, In how the natural world has entwined itself in like the mass notion of what the technological world should be, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of this is, yeah, just wanting to interject myself to make space and to have some form of control where I know that the type of love that I want to give and the type of love that perhaps the people around me need is one that works against scale is one that is often purposeless and is love for the sake of love. And to do these things, we have to construct space for it. Um, right. Cause I don't think there's existing space that really attends to all those needs as well. Do you find that this is kind of the crux of your work of creating space for that? For sure. It's, the question of my work is definitely rooted in love, in gathering, in thinking about tooling and websites as a medium in which to achieve that. Um, and in my just like general fascination for how tools, uh, websites, and spaces are the most human thing about us. Like humans are the only ones who use tools to make other tools. I'm using other people's tools to make tools and I am thinking about the world after me, right? And I'm thinking about how I can entrust the people I love to continue making worlds for the ones they love too. Um, I think about archives and preservation in the context of longevity also, like not just about love in this instant, but how how love can be carried on and preserved and recontextualized and transformed later on. Um, And I think reimagining our relationship with technology and enabling more people to participate in this technological reimagination is definitely necessary um, for more people to feel liberated by technology, for more people to be happy with where they are and how they are living with the web and how they 
can better love on the web. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right in the way that it does change our relationship to time. It's kind of a relief for love not to feel like a race against time, but instead something that can last or be preserved, maybe not forever, but just in a different way than is naturally occurring in the physical world, right? For sure. Like when I make websites, I forgot off love. I think web making, place making, gathering, these are all love languages of mine. And I don't expect them to, as you say, like last forever. But then instead they're provocations and they're invitations for people to um develop new languages out of what I have made for the love to kind of be exponential and abundant and to be ever shape-shifting um even if they're like it's not just about the trace of myself or a direct record of myself but rather for love and space making as a practice in general to be continued on and extended for other people Mm -hmm. do you have anything um that you would like to share with with the audience in terms of where they can find you or if you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, most of my work is at Chia.design. I have a lot of other websites, but then that is probably the best index. Um, I'm currently working on this project called When We Dot Love. Um, it's just like the series of like offline and online experiences that explore digital ex- intimacy, um, digital love languages, um, and whatnot. Um, takes the form of those crazy browser concrete poems I mentioned um, to things like alternative social experiences to things like Chrome extensions to physical works. And I've been kind of releasing things episodically. Um, But if you're interested in this philosophy around love and want to see how real these spaces might be, um, that would be a good thing to check out. Perfect. Yeah. I'll link it. Um, Thank you so much. I feel like we covered amazing ground. Um, I feel very enlightened. <laughs> yeah, thank you for this lovely conversation. I love your article about longing and the online. It's very real. And oh, thank you so much. All right. Well, um, perfect. Thank you All so right. much. This is so thank- fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too.